Happy Easter, everyone. Let me start off our time together by telling you a story. Dr. W.A. Criswell, who was once the pastor of a church in Texas, he was on an airplane flight where he found himself seated beside a well-known theologian. Well, they began to talk. And the man told Dr. Criswell about how he had recently lost his little boy through death. Dr. Criswell listened as he told his story. He said he had come home from school with a fever. We thought it was just one of those childhood things, but it was a very violent form of meningitis. The doctor said, we can't save your little boy. He's going to die. And so this seminary professor, loving his son as he did, sat by the bedside next to his son. It was the middle of the day, and the little boy whose strength was going from him and whose vision and brain was getting clouded said, Daddy, it's, it's getting dark, isn't it? The professor said to his son, Yes, son, it's getting dark, very dark. Friends, is there a darker situation than having to face something like this? Of course, it was very dark for him. The little boy said, Daddy, I, I guess it's time for me to go to sleep, isn't it? The dad said, Yes, son. It's time for you to go to sleep. The professor said the little fellow had a way of fixing his pillow just so and putting his head on his hands when he slept, and he fixed the pillow like that, laid his head on his hands and said, Good night, Daddy. I'll see you in the morning. He then closed his eyes in death stepped over into heaven. Dr. Criswell said the professor didn't say anything after that. He just looked out the window of that airplane for a long time. And then he turned back and he looked at Dr. Criswell with tears coming down his cheeks and he said, Dr. Criswell, I can hardly wait till the morning. What a sad story to start Easter with. But isn't that the world that we live in? How, how many times in your life have you just walked away, shaking your head, thinking this isn't the way that it's supposed to be? Death, suffering, pain, just to name a few. Th these things were not supposed to be a part of our world. In, th in the beginning, everything was the way that it was supposed to be. Adam and Eve walked with God in the coolness of the garden. They had peace and significance. They had meaning for their life. Uh, imagine they lived in a world where there was no lust, there was no hatred, there was no greed, because there was no sin. Think about this, nobody talked behind somebody else's back. No one robbed another person at gunpoint. No one stole from someone's business. No one tried to make a name for themselves and act like they were all that. There was no sin, and there was no suffering, and there was no sickness, there were no hospitals, there was no cancer, there was no arthritis, and there was no death. There was no one sitting next to the bed of a loved one who's gasping for each breath. There's no funeral services. There's no graveyards. But that all changed, didn't it? Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God and all hell broke loose on our earth. Nothing was the way it was supposed to be. And what was once so beautiful was now so broken. What was once so perfect was now so flawed. Adam and Eve hid from God. And mankind has been hiding from God ever since. If you remember from this series, God called out to Adam, but Adam hid. You see, for the first time, he felt the weight of, and shame that sin brings into a person's life. And he didn't want to face God over what he had done. 
So Adam and Eve hid, but God kept calling out to them, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Have you ever heard him call out to you? It's that still small voice inside your soul that won't be silenced no matter how hard you try to drown that voice out with every other thing you can come up with. It's the voice of God calling you to come clean and to leave your shame behind. And God's not calling you, I want you to get this, God's not calling you out to slam you, but God's calling us out to forgive us and wash away the stain of our sin. Adam and Eve finally come out of hiding and God kills an animal to cover their shame. Now this is the first time that innocent blood is shed to forgive the guilty. The Bible says without the shame of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. You see, all throughout the Old Testament, there's a sacrificial system to gain forgiveness of our sins from God. A person would bring a lamb, a spotless, beautiful lamb, the best that they had, and they would bring it to the priest, and the lamb would be slaughtered on behalf of the sins of that person. And the blood of the lamb was poured out on the altar to cover their sins. It was God's way of saying, your sin cost someone their life. This is serious business. Sin is serious business. Someone had to die for what you had done so you could be made right with God. The problem was people kept on sinning. So every year more innocent lambs were slaughtered. Well, the prophets in the Old Testament, they foretold of the day when God would take on human form and walk among his people. They said there will be a day when the Messiah will come. He will be the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And he will die in our place and take the sin debt that we owe God upon himself and cover our shame with his blood. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but all told, there's over 300 prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. It's as if God is saying, when you find the person who fulfills all 300 of these prophecies, you will truly find this true Messiah, the Son of God. And the prophecies, I'll be honest with you, are pretty extensive. Let me tell you what they foretell. They foretell where the Messiah will be born, from what family tree, where he would grow up, and even how he would die. The prophecies reveal that the Messiah would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. They, they share how he would be falsely accused and how he would remain silent before his accusers. The prophecies share how he would be whipped and spat upon, how they would mock him and place nails in his hands and his feet. The prophecies share how he would be executed between two thieves, that his clothes would be divided and they would cast lots for them. The prophecies foretell that he would be offered gall and vinegar to drink. The prophecies predict the exact words that he would say from the cross. The prophecies also predict that not one of his bones would be broken, that his side would be pierced, and that his heart would literally burst. The prophets foretold that darkness would fall in broad daylight, that Jesus would be buried in a rich man's tomb, and that he'd be resurrected from the dead. Now friends, that's just a list of just a few of the prophecies. There's over 300 of them about Jesus. Dr. Peter Stoner, in his book, Science Speaks, he 
calculates the odds of a person fulfilling just 48 of the 300 prophecies to be 1 in 10 to the 157th power. Let me show you what that number looks like. That's a big number right there. Now let me blow your mind for just a little bit. Let's say you take a silver dollar and let's say you take billions of them and you spread them all over the state of Texas two feet deep. The entire state filled with silver dollars two feet deep. Then you get in a plane and you fly over the state of Texas and then you take one silver dollar and you mark it and you throw it out the window. Then then you shuffle up all the silver dollars across the state of Texas. Then you take a guy and you blindfold him. You say, listen, I want you to go walk the state of Texas and at some point you can stop. Now remember he's blindfolded and then I want you to reach down into the pile of silver dollars and I want you to pull one out. Now if he pulls out the one silver dollar that's been marked, that's about the same statistical probability of one human being fulfilling just eight prophecies from the Old Testament. But think about this. Jesus didn't fulfill just eight prophecies, did he? He didn't fulfill 48 prophecies. He fulfilled every single one. Over 300 prophecies. Now the Bible teaches that Jesus died for our sins so we could be made right with God. Now can you picture Jesus hanging on the cross? That's a gossiper hanging there. That's an embezzler. That's a liar. That's a bigot. Do you see the crucified carpenter? He's a wife beater, a porn addict. He's a murderer. You say, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a second, Todd. What in the world are we talking about right now? As blood poured out of his hands and his feet, our sin entered into his soul. And every foolish sin we've ever committed, he took on himself and he paid the price so that we could be forgiven with hands nailed open he invited God treat me as you would treat them and God did in an act that broke the heart of the father yet honored the holiness of heaven sin was paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Jesus cried out my God my God why did you abandon me why did Jesus scream those words it was so you and I would never have to someone asked me the other day why blood had to be used to wash away our sin. Several years ago in Canada, George and Vera Bajinsky got a call at 9.15 in the morning. The person on the other end of the phone said, there's been a terrible accident and it involves your son, Ben. Well, as they approached the intersection, they could see the flashing lights of police cars and ambulance units. Vera noticed a photographer and followed the direction of his camera lens to the largest pool of blood that she had ever seen. And all she could say was, George, Ben went home, home to be with his heavenly father. Her first reaction was to jump out of the car and somehow collect the blood and put it back into her son. She said that blood for me at that moment became the most precious thing in the world. It was life-giving blood and it belonged in my son, my only son, the one I love so much. Well, the road was dirty and the blood just didn't belong there. And George noticed that cars were driving right through the intersection, right through the blood. And he wanted to cover the blood with his coat. He wanted to cry out, you will not drive over the blood of my son. Then Vera understood for the first time in her life one of the greatest and most beautiful truths. Why blood? Because it was the strongest language God could have used. 
it was the most precious thing he could give, the highest price that he could pay. Why, why did Jesus die for our sins? Because the world we live in isn't the way it's supposed to be. You see, three days later, Jesus rose again from the dead, conquering death and sin. For 40 days, he appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses who saw him after he had risen again. And then Jesus ascended through the clouds in full view of the disciples to sit at the right hand of God. So here's the question I've got. What's Jesus been doing all these years? I mean, it's almost 2,000 years. It's a little over 2,000 years since he left. What in the world's he doing? Well, the Bible tells us what he's been working on in John chapter 14. It says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus has been working on heaven. And, and what's heaven like? Well, well, heaven's like the way it was always supposed to be. You see, in heaven, we'll be with God. Revelation 21.3 says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he'll live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Can you imagine being in the presence of God? Oh, how I look forward to this day. Now for some of us, this excites us because our faith will finally become sight and we'll finally see the one that we love with everything we've got and we just can't wait to see him. But for some of us, this scares us to death because you've spent most of your life ignoring him or cursing him rather than loving him or living your life for him. Well, that can change today, friends. You're just one prayer away from getting things in your life finally right with God. In heaven, there's no more sickness and there's no more pain. Revelation 21.4 says, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Think about this, no more chemo drips, no more viruses that kill millions of people, no more arthritis in your knees. I, I could use that one, I'll be honest with you. No more grief, no more disappointment. No one's body will be limited by aging or disabilities anymore. If you're blind, you'll see in heaven. If you're lame, you will run up and down the streets of gold. And if you're deaf, you will hear the voice of God. And heaven will worship him for all that he's done and for all that he is. No one will be using his name in vain. We will be praising his name. In heaven, you also will be reunited with those who love Jesus who went before you. Revelation 7, 9 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Who, who do you have on the other side of heaven that you can't wait to see again? I'll tell you who I've got. I've got my brothers on the other side. I can't wait to see them. I've got my dad on the other side. He passed away in 2009. I can't wait to see my dad again. Think about this. We're never gonna say goodbye ever again. Not to a family member, not to a friend. In heaven, we're also gonna be rewarded by God. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27 says, for the Son of Man is gonna come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Now friends, we're, we're made right with God, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what he's done for us. We're saved by God's amazing grace. 
but we will be rewarded for our works, for the things we sacrifice for for God. Heaven's not going to be a place where, where everybody gets equality. Some will be rewarded more and praised more than others. For example, the Christian teenager who keeps themselves pure in spite of temptation, they're going to be rewarded more than the young person who gives into that temptation and repents later on. The godly husband who cares for his wife who's got Alzheimer's for over a decade is going to be rewarded more than the husband whose wife is healthy and he takes her for granted. The couple who has given generously 10, 15% of their income to the things of God, to the kingdom of God, so lives can be changed. They are laying up for themselves treasures in heaven. They're not giving God the leftovers. They're going to be rewarded and praised more. The Bible says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So think about this. God created the heavens and the earth in six days and he's been gone for over 2,000 years. Now, have you ever seen the beauty of the Grand Canyon or the Niagara Falls? Those are just sneak previews of what awaits. It's gonna blow us away. I remember the first time I went diving in Belize. Now, if you've ever dove or snorkeled, you know that just below the surface of the water is a whole new world. I remember swimming with Caribbean reef sharks wondering if they had a cousin named Jaws. Friends, in heaven, the lion lays down with the lamb. Animals will no longer be our adversaries. It'll be just the way it's supposed to be. And honestly, today I've only scratched the surface. You need to spend some time later today and read Revelation chapter 21 and 22. So let me recap this the best way I know how. Kyle Eidelman, who's the pastor, keeps a list of what heaven will not have. Are you ready for this list? Because Jesus died and rose again, it means that one day in heaven, there'll be no more Parkinson's, no more death row, no more cancer, no more divorce, no more rejection. There'll be no more loneliness, no more jail cells, no more depression, no more caskets or crutches, no more wheelchairs, no more pacemakers, no more radiation or chemotherapy, no more suicide bombers, and no more school shootings. Because of Jesus, there'll be no more anxiety medication, no more middle of the night phone calls, no more crosses on the side of the road, no more child abuse, there'll be no more rape, there'll be no more coughs or colds or flu shots, there'll be no more acne, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? No more love handles or saddlebags, no more cottage cheese thighs, no more double chins, no more deodorant stains, no more shoving and pushing, no more yelling or fighting, no more traffic, no more road rage, no more addiction, no more drama, no more hormones, no more crash diets, no more spanks, and thank God, no more speedos. There'll be no more gossip, no more concussions, no more autism, no more needles, no more taxes or bills or elections or funeral homes, no more orphanages, nursing homes, no more waiting rooms, no more animal hospitals, no more treatment centers, no more courtrooms, no more divorce papers or pink slips, no more foreclosure notices, and no more motionless ultrasounds, which means no more tiny caskets. There'll be no more shame. 
No more thorns and thistles. No more conflict and confusion. No more dust and ashes. No more quarantines. No more face masks. No more gloves. No more social distancing. No more sheltering in place. No more toilet paper running out at the grocery store. No more Zoom calls. No more hand sanitizer. No more Lysol spray. No more ventilators. No more viruses. No more vaccines. Jesus says, I have come and I have made everything new. Now the question is, are you going there when you die? When you breathe your last breath on this earth, will you breathe your first breath in heaven? Jesus said in John chapter 14 that you and I know the way to get there. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to get to heaven is to admit that you've sinned. And then you repent of that sin. You say, I don't, I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to do that stuff anymore. You believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on a cross and three days later rose again from the dead. And finally, you commit your life over to him. The attitude of your heart is that you want to live for him, that you want to love him, that you want to please him from this day forward. Now, no doubt you won't be perfect, but, but if it's the attitude of your heart that you want to live for him and you want to please him in all that you say and in all that you do, think about this. If you could get to heaven based on your goodness, then why does God allow his son to be crucified for your sins? Why go through all of that if there's some moral code that you could just follow and obey? Friends, no one's good enough to go to heaven. No one is good enough to go to heaven. That's why Jesus came. He came because it wasn't supposed to be this way. So Jesus came and fixed what was broken. So are you ready to ask Jesus to come in your life and forgive you of your sin? If you are, I'm going to pray with you right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner and I need you. And I pray for everybody who's watching me that understands that they're a great sinner as well. Lord, I pray that they would come to their senses and they would ask you to be the leader and forgiver of their life. Lord, that they would repent of their sin and they would tell you that they don't want to live the way they've been living anymore. That they would believe in their heart that you are who you say you are. That you died on the cross for their sin and that you rose again from the dead. And I pray, Lord, that they would commit their ways to you. That it would be the attitude of their heart they would want to follow you and serve you with every fiber of their being. Lord, for those of us who are watching today who are not certain as to where they're going to go when they breathe their last breath on this earth, Lord, I pray that they would reach out to us so we could have a conversation with them and help them have assurance of what happens to them when they do breathe their last breath on this earth. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, if you are uncertain about your relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not certain what's going to happen to you when you die, would you please call us or text us 505-922-9200. We just want to help you any way that we possibly can. We want to give you the opportunity to get your questions answered. We'll explain to you the best we know how, why Jesus came, the difference that he can make in your life. So call us 
or text us 505-922-9200. Pastors are standing by. They're anxious to talk to you. Friends, I hope all of you have a wonderful, wonderful Easter.